Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting, answering the big questions in film. Andy Gillard here, hello and I hope you're keeping safe. Hi everyone, it's Matt Guy, how are we all doing? Hello, it's Stu Hall here and very much the same, welcome. Thanks again for joining us on our second ever question cast. If it's the first time that you're joining us though, let me give you a quick update on how we do things around here. This week we're going to talk about some questions and answers. And then next week, what we're going to do is going to have a deeper dive into one specific question. That question, of course, Nick Cage, good or bad? Last week, we watched both of the National Treasure films. They're available in the archives now. And we'll get on to where we're going with the picture pod in a little while. But first, we'll get some of the pod admin out of the way. So, guys, our little podcast, we're now on all the major providers. So if you're on Google, iTunes, Spotify, you can get us there. It's great. Got to admit, I'm delighted with the initial response. How are we both feeling about this? Yeah, really, really pleased. It's nice to get um, kind of the ball rolling and, and getting on all the major platforms is really, really. It's so weird just seeing something that's like startup us being straight away on Spotify, which I use to all my podcasts, and we're kind of there amongst all of them. Really strange, but really glad that people have, have enjoyed it and, and commented so far, and and please continue to do so. Yeah, it was very similar for me, but it was as soon as we went on Podcast Addict, because that's the one that I use, and as, as soon as we popped up there because of the name, it was right at the top and in the centre as well, and because Inside Baseball, that I designed the uh, the cover art, and when that popped up, I thought, oh, yes, we've made it. <laughs> we've made it. <laughs> and obviously, please make sure you subscribe to the feed, so when the episode drops on a Monday morning, we'll be there waiting for you with open arms. Also, if you could give us a quick five-star review, that would be awesome. If you've got a little bit of time, you know, a review would be fantastic. You know, we've already had three five-star reviews as well. And I'm not saying that one of them was mine, but <laughs> <laughs> the, the initials do ring true with one of the one of the three of us. We've had one from Funky Monkey 3487 said that they loved the first episode. They're looking forward to the wonderful and bizarre questions that they didn't know we need answering so if anyone has got any questions or if funky monkey if you've got a question you want answering drop us a tweet you can dm us or email us our twitter handle is cage fighting pod our email is cage fighting pod at gmail.com oatcake 46 excellent first episode hugely entertained and they've made a list of films worth trying which is great because as you both know i have a list of everything that i have to watch so it's all, I've got a, a tab on my Excel spreadsheet with all films that I hear on different podcasts. Okay. So if something rings a bell, I'm like, bang it in there. So I, I'm well up for making lists. And Oatcake okay, is a person after my own heart, I must admit. You should and print I'm, these lists off. You should print them off and laminate them. Well, they need updating. So it, it has to stay on. Otherwise, I'd just be getting through so much paper. <laughs> uh, the, the final review is from ADG23. And they say, I like it a lot. Now, I reckon that might be a Dumb and Dumber reference. I like it a lot. Because, I mean, that, that is a cracking film. And if you do leave us a review, drop in a film reference. We'll see if we can spot it. I think that's a, a good idea. I like it. Let's do it. Yeah. So, question one, this week and every week, it's going to be exactly the same. What have you been watching this week? Uh, obviously, was it any good? Matthew, do you want to kick us off there? Well, I've had a bit of a, a relax from kind of uh, film and TV, and I've been doing a lot of playing and reading. So I've been playing a lot of the Resident Evil 2 remake. 
um, which um, for anybody that knows me, I'm not very good when it comes to scary <laughs> things. So this has been very much a playing it at my own pace, um, trying to keep a pair of fresh underwear nearby, basically. <laughs> uh, I used to like the Resident Evil films are on my list to watch over the next couple of weeks. I know that they're not quite um, they're not quite in key with the the games or like following the plot release because the games veer off in a really strange like direction by the time you get to like six we're we're not fighting zombies anymore we're fighting people in like africa in and people with chainsaws and stuff like that all matter was at number four um but i've been um reading uh the stand by stephen king as well um trying to get a bit more into stephen king and then not just watch his films which um i really really like well the films adapted um from his work but um that's what i've kind of been doing at the minute i need to get back and find something that hopefully you guys are going to tell me that i need to watch over the next week well i was just when you mentioned resident evil i've only ever seen the very first film when it first came out on a friend's dodgy pirated vhs (laughs) and that like you couldn't really see what was happening and I, i never revisited it so i was going to ask you if they're worth doing it but I'm guessing you've not seen them, but Stu is nodding along. So, Stu, <laughs> Re- Resident Evil, worth Colin your time? Sa- Colin Salmon's in the first one. Oh, do you like Colin Salmon? Does he yeah, play he's... a do- dodgy British possible villain? Something happens to him. Let's just say that. So, right, no spoilers. Okay. Um, it's it's very in my wheelhouse of nonsense. They're, they're nothing like the, the games whatsoever. They are their own thing, which mm. is kind of... Keep the films and keep the game separate. It's kind of it works better that way. Yeah, um, I'd agree with all mediums. I think whenever you get an adaptation, it's so easy to compare it to the original that you're probably better off making it your own thing and having it completely different. A bit like how The Walking Dead has done that from the comic books. It's got the source material to sort of guide it, but the stories are seldom beat for beat the same thing. I think that tends to work best. Yeah, and, and the yeah, Walking Dead. The Walking Dead games as well, the Telltale games, are a separate yeah. story altogether. Mm. Uh, that so, works pretty well. What have you been watching this week then, Stu? Um, it was the same kind of thing, because of football being back. It was <laughs> a lot of football, um, more than more than ever, you could say. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then on uh, on Friday, The Last of Us Part 2 arrived to a uh, two-disc fanfare that took nearly an hour to install. Um <laughs> Play the first three and a half hours of that, and that's a, just a spectacular piece of entertainment, let alone a game or whatever. It's a cinematic masterpiece already. Mm. I, I'm not going to say a single thing about it, other than it's, it's so far it's easily living up to the first one. Um, but apart from that, I know last time when I, I watched the silly 365 Days film, <laughs> yeah. this, this time I thought, oh yeah, on one of the other podcasts, uh, obviously there is others available, Um mm. They recommended it, and I'd never even heard of this film called Do the Right Thing. Oh, the Spike Lee film? Yeah, Spike Lee from 1989. Uh, Again, very, very random thing. But just a quick synopsis off IMDb. On the hottest day of the year on the street in Brooklyn, everyone hates bigotry, smoulders and builds until breaking point, effectively. And it's just, it's one of the things where... Everything that's going on in America at the minute and kind of over here as well. To see a film that old tackling exactly the same situation as what's going on with race and all that kind of thing. And being a spoiler, after you've mentioned Black Klansman last time out as well, the, 
you can kind of see where that came from with this being one of his first films. And it was just, it was powerful. And I don't only get kind of, when I watch serious films, I kind of take it in. But this one kind of hit me. And I think it, maybe it's because of the times that we're living in and stuff like that. But it really is excellent. And to be, I know obviously you've heard of it, Andy, but mm. everyone I've mentioned it to has no clue what it is. Mm. It's just hidden away. And Matt, Matt's looking a bit lost as well. No, well, I'm just, it sounds really interesting. and. Um... It's one I'm probably going to check out. To be fair, at first I thought you were describing um, falling down, um, in terms of like one man being tipped over the edge kind of thing. But it's, it sounds like a bit more societal than that. Um, is that the kind of is that the kind of thing? It's like it's like society is at the breaking point between races and and violence and and that kind of thing. Well, you've got a mainly black neighbourhood with mm-hmm. some Koreans and obviously the white boys and a very very young Gus Fring. Giancarlo Esposito's in it, um, weirdly enough. Um, Brit- and a very, very young Samuel L. Jackson, playing a radio DJ, um, who's, who's DJing out of his house by the looks of it. Um, but yeah, it's very much a kind of late 80s, early 90s, massive boom boxes on the shoulder and Air Jordans and things like that. And it's as a time capsule on itself, it's worth I think it's just over two hours long. Um, or maybe exactly two hours, um, but just as a time capsule. And then you'd think, well, actually, it's not, it was 20, 30 years later. It's exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> Things haven't changed. Mm. But yeah, yeah. I'd recommend, I recommend that to anyone. Yeah, I think you said powerful, and I think that's probably the, the best description of it. It's fantastic. But to further on from, um, from you watching Spike Lee, I actually watched a Spike Lee film this week as well. His new one, which is just dropped on Netflix, The Five Bloods. Uh, it's okay. It's probably not got the same impact as Do the Right Thing or possibly The Black Klansman. It's two and a half hours. It's probably a little bit longer than it needs to be. It starts off quite slow, but once it gets going, it's excellent. And it's about um, five African-Americans who fought in the Vietnam War. Um, and then they returned to Vietnam many years later to uncover some gold that was hidden. Um, and then they... Once they get the gold, all hell breaks loose, basically, and they've got to try and get out of the situation in one piece. Obviously, I don't want to spoil it, but I think once you get past the first sort of half an hour or so, it really does fly by. But it's just that first half an hour. The setting the scene takes a little bit too long for my liking. But that's that, I'd, I'd recommend that, like, like I do with every Spike Lee film, to be honest. Uh, another film I watched was the Armando Iannucci, the um, David Copperfield movie. No, I'm not. I'm not a massive fan of Charles Dickens' work. I mean, other than the Muppets Christmas Carol, I wouldn't particularly go out of my way to watch any of his, uh, any of the, his adapt- adaptations. I'm stumbling over my words there, but I really enjoyed that, and that might be because it's Armando Iannucci, and as far as I'm concerned, the man can do no wrong when it comes to comedy movies. So I, I would recommend watching that. It's a story of a, a young adult who goes through the trials and tribulations of his life. And here he comes out the other side of it. Again, don't want to give too much away. Good story. Some fantastic acting. It, Tilda Swinton's in it, who is always incredible. So, yeah, the David Copperfield movie. Is uh, that the an next... old one? No, it was out um, at the end of last year. Oh, OK. It was in the cinema, sorry, at the end of last year. And I think it's just been released on VOD now. Well, that's one I completely pass me by. It didn't get a lot of fanfare. I think I picked it up on um, Kermode and Mayo podcast 
when it was released because every time Armando's on, I always have to listen to his interviews because he's he's very worldly and he's always got good opinions about everything, not just about films. Something that, yeah, it's really good. And if you like Armando, I mean, if you've seen The Death of Stalin, it's quite similar in tone to that, more so probably than um, The Thick of It or um, In the Loop. Uh, The next film that I was going to say that I watched actually ties into the next question. So I'll give you the question. The answer is going to be my review. Question two. Can you tell me about a director who you find often makes the same mistakes in all of their films and it always takes you out of it? Now, the reason I asked this question is this last week I watched The King of Staten Island, which is a Judd Apatow film. And I find with pretty much all of Judd Apatow's movies, they always start off with the first half an hour being quite quite snappy and there's a lot of gags thumbed in quite early. And then it gets really sort of drawn out in the second act and they go through the trials of what's happened and they sort of break the characters down before then coming back for the final hurrah where everything works out in the end. And I always find that those middle acts, they drag so much that you lose the comedy from the beginning and you don't care about the payoff at the end. And for, for an example of this, I think the um, Knocked Up, and I love Seth Rogen, I really do, but again, this film, that middle portion of that film, it's a, it's a two hour 20 film, if I remember correctly, or, or two hours 10, but that middle portion just drags, and it sucks the life out of every movie. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like Judd Apatow needs to get a decent editor on board just to cut out some of the flab in that that in the second act. So, uh, Stu, would you like to tell us about a director who you can't quite get to grips with because they always make that same mistake? You know, I, I, before I say mine, I hadn't really considered that, but now thinking about Knocked Up, that's exactly beat for beat, exactly what you've just said. Yeah, it's the same if you think of the 40-year-old virgin. Heavy yeah, gags yeah, yeah. at the front, mawkish in the middle, and then a little bit of a payoff at the end. It's just Judd Jad, Apatow's way, I think. Yeah, even I'm learning things on here. It's only week three. Um, <laughs> mine, again, because of the uh, topical, I suppose. I'm not going to use examples, but Tarantino and the N-word, which I mentioned, I mentioned when I watched um, Django Unchained for the first time since the cin- watching it in the cinema. And yet in that one, you can kind of think, oh, yeah, of the time, and it makes sense with the slavery and stuff. But in Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown and... Just the ones off the top of my head when I was thinking about it last night, I thought this is just, it's a bit over the top. And I know they were of the time and they were done deliberately and he really doesn't care what he does anyway. And he does things for impact. But it just seems, I don't know, maybe it's a bit of virtue signaling and being all woke and whatever. But even for me, it's just, it just it's just a bit too much sometimes. I think I completely agree. I like Tarantino, but his use of the N-word, it's gratuitous i think is the word it's almost like i can use it so i will not because i need to but because i can and language is such a powerful tool that when used correctly it's incredible but it's also if you use it too often it cheapens it and i find that tarantino does veer to that side of things a little bit too often for my liking yeah and when i was i was reading about Django and chain last night and there's a thing about um again on the uh IMD factoids about uh, Leo DiCaprio saying that he had, he had to call um, call cut on one of the tags because he was saying it too much and it was upsetting him. Can you so, imagine? 
And yeah. Samuel L. Jackson turned around to him and said, this is just a normal Tuesday for us, just carry on. <laughs> so you kind of, okay, fair enough, you kind of make light of it. But it, is, it was just one or two, okay, fine for impact. But like you said, it does cheapen it and it just kind of, it's like, okay, we've done this now, move on, something else. Mm. Yeah, no, I get that. Matt? Yeah, um, Vine, I mean, it's all subjective and, and, as, and, and as a, as an actor, you might really, really enjoy his work, but mine is kind of Tim Burton's consistent and almost insistent use of Johnny Depp in nearly everything that he does. And to, and to some extent, somebody said <laughs> to some extent, Helen Bonham Carter, but not, not, not to the same extent. Um, Tim Burton, you know, when asked about this, because, you know, was, uh, he has been asked, he said something that just struck me as really bizarre. And so I'm going to read it out to you now. <laughs> Johnny also understands physical humor and movement and things like that. And he's just got expressive eyes. That is almost one of the most important things to me. And this is off. This is describing an actor who looks confused and almost aroused in the Savage advert for aftershave. He's <laughs> um, just, he's just, I just don't, I just don't get it. I just don't, I, I, I him being cast in the films, um, takes it's very jarring and his performances just take out some of the um kind of sweetness in some of the roles like edward scissorhands and well, what i wanted to do i want you to tell me the films that johnny depp and tim burton have appeared in a little uh, a little quiz for you while we're here there are eight films uh, and i want you to tell me them can you can you do such a thing oh, we obviously you've just mentioned edward scissorhands because yeah. i think that's probably his best one mm-hmm. um the... Alice in Wonderland. Correct. Oh God, hated that film. Um, the Demon Barber. What was that one now? Sweeney Todd. Sweeney, Sweeney Todd. The Demon yeah. Barber. Yeah. Oh. Oh, this is one of these things. If you if you put this in the in the group chat before, and you think, oh, we get these straight away. But now you put us on the spot. Yeah. No, the pressure. Well, for the for, for the sake of uh, for the sake of easy listening, I'm going to run through them. But if you're listening at home, drop, give it a pause, try and write them down, and see if you can get these. So uh, we had Edward Scissorhands, um, Ed Wood, '94, yes. Sleepy Hollow, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride, Sweeney Todd, as you mentioned, uh, Alice in Wonderland, and then most recently, Dark Shadows. Um, and I look at any of those, and none of them, like I think to myself. God, Johnny Depp was great in this. This film is made better for having him in, especially Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, because the original is so beloved to me that I thought it was a real butchering mm. of the role. Yeah. Um, so, rightly or wrongly, that's, that's my pick, um, Tim Burton's excessive use of Johnny Depp. I'll defend and him on Corpse Bride, though. I mean, that, that is animated, so it is a bit of a stretch. Um, but that, that's, that's an all right film for what it is. Mm. It, it kind uh, of works. Again, you know, a lot of these are, you know, quite happy isn't the word i want to use but like the tone is very he's kind of very happy jolly you know in a way even sweeney todd in like the musical numbers considering it's about a demon murderous barber um they're just it, it, the, the feel of the films it's just too nice for me there's not a, it's just too nice i like things to be a, a touch edgier than edgier than that to be honest um i don't know what do you guys think i i agree i've never really been a big fan of tim burton i find my, my criticism of he is that it's he gets he gets praise for doing stuff that a lot of foreign directors do, but because he's a more mainstream director, they think he's a genius. Like, yeah. No, he's not. He's just ripped off like Murakami and the guys and other Japanese directors, and that's always kind of bugged me that it's 
yeah, he gets undue deserve uh, undue praise mm. personally. And plus, the Planet of the Apes film he did was absolutely oh, dreadful. God. Just com- the worst. I completely forgot that that thing even existed. I, I saw it at the cinema and I've I've not been able to stomach it again. Even when I do a rewatch of the Planet of the Apes series, because the other films are fantastic, I, I won't watch that one because it's just the worst. Well, it, it just stands alone in the middle of just being a joke. Mm. You know, it the, has the, nothing. The original five or seven or whatever, however many they ended up being, and then the, the new three, which are great. But, mm. um, yeah, that one. She was in that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I've never been a big fan of her in pretty much anything. The only film of uh, Helena Bonham Carter's I am a fan of is Fight Club. But even that, I think, has possibly aged quite poorly. But Fight Club, her best performance for for my money. Well, I want to know, guys, my question for this week. I want to know, what is the most quotable movie for you? What film do you find yourself quoting at any given opportunity. Uh, Stu, do you want to go ahead? Um, I, I, I have to think quite hard about this because I don't really do quotes of anything because my memory's so bad, <laughs> mainly, mainly through alcohol abuse. But um, thinking about it, it's probably airplane. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Just... Don't call me Shirley and things like I'll pick the wrong day to stop smoking, stop drinking, <laughs> sniffing glue. And it's just things like, are you nervous? And it's first time he went, no, I've always been nervous. <laughs> just, a silly, just silly deadpan nonsense like that. And it, it's just witty responses, which I've kind of done for a long time anyway in certain circumstances. So it probably is airplane for me. That is a good yeah. choice, to be fair. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Ando? No, I, I wasn't quite sure which way we were going to be looking at this. So I've got one choice, which is my favourite quotes in a film. And I've got one, which is probably ones I use most. Mm -hmm. So I think the ones that I use most is probably Wayne's World. Okay. (laughs) Across both of them. I mean, I think they're a great pair of films. But yeah, so live in the now. I think that's great advice from Garth. We're not worthy. I wouldn't say Milwaukee. I would say Milwaukee because of... uh, (laughs) Because of Alice Cooper in that film. When you order a Chinese, you ask for a cream of some young guy. Yeah, It's excellent. Uh, But the film that I think has probably got the best quotes is Hot Fuzz. Poor sock in it, town mouse. Yeah, you want to be a big cop in a small town? Fuck off up the model village. And I'm going to apologise now, because if I do a Bristolian accent, it's going to sound fucking dreadful. But You've got to do it now. I've got to try, at least. So I think if you want to be a big cop in a small town, Fuck off up the model village. I think he's such a great line. <laughs> he's not Judge Judy and Executioner. Wonderful. Obviously, the greater good. That is something that I think we, we do say yeah, often. Yeah. Have you ever shot your guns in the air and yelled, ah? Brilliant. <laughs> um, I suppose you're wondering why we call them the Andes, uh, because they're both called Andrew. Also, talking to them's an uphill struggle, isn't it, Dad? Yeah. So. It's Wayne's World or Hot Fuzz for, for either answer to that question. They're, they're mighty. What about you, Matt? What, what's your uh, quotable? Mine, it was Airplane, to be fair. And for exactly yes. the same reason, <laughs> for exactly the same reason as Stu, because it's just, um, it's so deadpan. And it's so um, 
just hilarious. Like it really is hilarious. But it's my kind of like almost version on dad humor, very pun um, <laughs> as well. I flew single engine fighters in the Air Force, but this plane has four engines. It's an entirely different kind of flying altogether. It's, it's an, an entirely, entirely different, different kind of flying. flying. Even just the comedy itself in the film's excellent. Like when <clears throat> one of the um, passengers is being hysterical and one by one, they all come around to slap her around the face, <laughs> like trying to like keep, keep her um, Keep it calm. It's just it's just a really excellent film um, from a quotes point of view. I think it's it's a real sleeper for some people. Much like I mentioned a couple um, a couple of weeks back about Spinal Tap, some of the humour in 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 the in the film is probably not for everybody now. I don't think like the real gag, fast paced gags is like is kind of humour that people would enjoy nowadays. But I've been watching the film about twenty years now, um, and I just think it's absolutely hilarious. And there's some really great quotes from it. And if you haven't seen it, please go out, go out of your way to, to give it a go because it's a proper, you know, gag a minute comedy where every time that you watch it, you'll find something else funnier when you see it. Really, and this, the second one's good as well. To be fair, yeah. But I think like when you think of "Don't call me Shirley," I mean that is yeah, such yeah. an iconic line that I think yeah. I knew that line before I'd even seen the film. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the, it, it trans, not, not translates. What's the word? It transcends. Trans- transcends yeah. the film itself it's fantastic and i lo- love the fact that then you go from airplane and then you've got the naked gun series mm-hmm. which yeah. are just phenomenal movies that probably don't get the love that they deserve partly because oj simpson's in them <laughs> but they're just wonderful wonderful films and they've kind of been bastardized a little bit when you look at like date movie and epic movie and scary because they're just not particularly funny films but they try that same kind of humour. So if you think that Airplane is just going to be like an older version of Scary Movie, it really isn't. It is a million times that movie. It's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. You put it in a lot better words than I can, to be fair. It's not even of its time, because I think, obviously, there probably is a few things. I mean, the um, the autopilot being an inflatable man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, is um, how he gets inflated he's in his uh, in his groinal area. <laughs> just it's just silly nonsense comedy. Like, that. like you said, Matt, it's pro- it's proper dad jokes and it's great. Yeah. And I think um, like the old, the older I get, the more I uh, I enjoy it. Um, like in a really silly way. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I think going you know, from silly things, the completely opposite of silly things. Well, depends which way you take it. My question this week was going to be, what was the last film that made you cry? Andrew? Right, okay. Now, Here we I cry- go. Oh, no. <laughs> I cry at films all the time. I'm terrible for it. I'm not I'm quite a stony person, generally speaking, but if I'm watching a film, I blubber. So, as ever, I've, I've answered it by giving a couple of uh, examples. When I watched Marriage Story at Christmas time, it absolutely destroyed me. I couldn't tell you many films which have made me just break down. But Marriage Story reduced me to bits. The performance from Adam Driver was... I'll be honest, this is a hill I will die on. He should have won the Oscar this year. Shouldn't have been Joaquin Phoenix. Should have been Adam Driver for that performance. Because the way he showed the bare bones of a human being who had been taken to his edge during his divorce from Scarlett Johansson's character, it was devastating. And I got all the way through the film, and then right at the very end, I was just in bits. For like a good half an hour or so, I just, I couldn't hack it. It, it broke me mentally. 
the last that, that wasn't the last film because I think I watched that the day before I went to see Little Women, which I saw at the <laughs> cinema. And there's the bit where spoiler alert, but Beth dies, and I didn't realise that she dies, and it's so sad. And I was just wiping a tear away from the corner of my eye, and this woman had brought a baby into the screen. <laughs> So this baby interrupted my crying by crying and it, it really pissed me off. I, I was not happy. And, and the final film I was going to mention, it's a film that always devastates me. And it's My Girl. I mean, it's yeah. a 29-year-old film. I saw it at the cinema when I was eight years old and it broke my heart then. And it was on Channel 5 not that long ago. And as I was flicking through the channels, it landed on My Girl in the funeral scene. I hadn't seen the rest of the film or anything. I knew exactly what was going on. And I just, I broke down because my girl gets me every single time. It's incredible. What about you, Matt? Okay, we're going to go from the ridiculous to the serious here. But one thing, and I'm not saying it makes me cry. I just want to say one thing that makes me sad, not cry. So I'm going to put the disclaimer out there right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, Bean, the ultimate disaster movie. <laughs> Man, when that fa- when that family shun Bean, I'm telling you, Rowan Atkinson deserves some kind of plot because he for for a ridiculous character, he's really sad. It's properly sad. Like they they, they just they, you know he's just left on his own and he's this strange man in a strange uh, strange land that doesn't understand you know the the cultures and he's just left on his own. And I just think to myself, man, imagine if that was you, he'd just be really sad. But there, but there we go. Um, <laughs> now back to the to the legitimate. Um, a TV show I want to just shoehorn in um, The Queen of Sheba episode of the Royal Family um, mm. so through all of the Royal Family this is one of the, 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 the later episodes you've got Jim and his, um, his mother-in-law um, who are really I wouldn't say hate each other but they, they're backwards and forwards always bickering always arguing um, and the Queen of Sheba I mean it's, it's been out years now so I'm not going to feel bad about spoiler alerts but it's basically the story of, of the nan of the family passing away um, and having kind of been through a very similar um, scenario where um, in my own real life where my, my nan had deteriorated over time and you, you say your goodbyes in the hospital before um, she passes away. Uh, if I watch that, guaranteed tears all over the place. Like it, it, it takes quite a bit for me to get emotional in a film. But um, this show, it was, it was just it's awful. And I think it's encapsulated by um, they do a point of view shot from um from the nan with all of the the cast saying their goodbyes pretty much um and it's really sad because these are characters for for the whole show all we do is ridicule them for how kind of dumb they are we don't really get real emotion out of them that isn't something that's comedic and then we see this and it absolutely breaks me every time really 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 like it's 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 so it's so bittersweet because it's it's for me a really funny program but that that episode just breaks me um, film-wise, I think the last film that really made me cry was um, The Pursuit of Happiness, Will Smith. Mm. Um, when he's um, in the uh, the toilets and someone's banging on the door and he's got nowhere to take um, his son, he just really hit home for me. I don't know. I, I, think, I've, I think I said it on either the first or second podcast. Um, all the best cowboys have daddy issues is, is like a, a phrase. Well, it's a, an episode of a, of a lost episode, believe it or not. Um, but it's just that father-son relationship thing, for whatever reason, really hit me. And um, I just felt so sorry for Will Smith's character in that, just thinking that he 
must be verging on suicidal in, in not being able to provide for his own son and being in these conditions. And it just really, really hit me. And I just, um, it's, it's, it was an uncomfortable watch. It still is an uncomfortable watch and it gets me as well. Uh, but yeah, there you go. From the ridiculous to, to Will Smith and back. <laughs> I do like Will Smith. I think he's an underrated actor. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously known for being his big outlandish characters, mm-hmm. but you know, in films like Pursuit of Happiness, and also his performance in Concussion. I think that is such a good, powerful performance from him. And I don't think he gets the respect that he's due in doing these these more sort of um, these quieter roles as he does sort of doing like when he's in Independence Day or the Bad Boys films. Yeah, it's um, it's a shame that he'll get kind of lumbered into those roles um, and not be taken a bit more seriously as an actor, but performances in these in these roles shows a bit of depth that you might overlook but yeah pursuit of happiness um for me yeah get the tissues ready <laughs> in mine with as you expect slightly different um there's a there's Listen, Stu, Transfor- transformers is not a sad film mate. I don't know <laughs> you, as i say it's a spoiler but when prime goes down that first time <laughs> it's <laughs> It is actually on the, on the notes. Um, but now that there was um, every year when the, the music in Home Alone at the, at the end, the um, the actual the actual score kicks in at the end of the film, and it's always like oh. Um, but on a similar note, uh, Claws, the Netflix Christmas oh, film from last year, yeah, 100%. it was. I was so surprised. I, mean, I know it had been hyped up all year round that Netflix were doing these things. I mean, J.K. Simmons, Rashida Jones, and John Schwartzman, and it's just—it's incredible. Well, we obviously not go into it. Just just watch it. What next? Well, this Christmas um, or October when it is officially Christmas anyway. Um, <laughs> about a, po- a bit of postman who gets sent to the North Pole, and it's like the birth of Santa and all this stuff. But it's just a really, really emotional, really, really lovely film. Mm, um, and the other one was Dunkirk, and I know it's. I, I think it might have been about the whole experience about just watching that. That me and my brother watching it, and it was a completely dead cinema. And there was everyone was completely silent from start to finish. And I mean, when we found it later, that a lot of it was improvised as well, and it wasn't really scripted. And it was a, been a Nolan film as well. Obviously, we that's the reason we went, and it was just one of them where. Just toward there's just things that happen towards the end where it's just really got us. I mean, both of us. I mean, we, we didn't speak to, the, to each other at all until we got back to the car. Mm. It was just it finished. Everyone sat in the seats. Obviously, there was going to be no end credit scene, but everyone just sat there, like pure respect for the film, and then just got up and left, and no one said a word. And it was just really powerful. And I don't know if that's going to stand back, stand by, and stand up when I watch it again on VOD or Blu-ray or whatever, but. For the, for that moment we were in, that was that was just, that was special. Yeah, that's nice. That's like when something hits you like that that you can't you can't form a sentence or you just can't say anything and almost out of respect for the film. I don't know, but mm-hmm. um, you know when something hits you like that, it is it is strange. A strange. It what it it's that question really. Like why do we go to cinema to get scared or to 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 cry or or hear you know or feel these horrible emotions like why why do we put ourselves through the misery of it but when when you when you get that film it is magical isn't it 
Yeah. It really is. I think the last film that I saw that did that was um, 12 Years a Slave. Oh. I remember watching it and then just sitting there thinking a million different thoughts of how on earth did this happen and why are we so shitty to each other? It's, yeah. And honestly, that, that film just broke me. It was, it, it felt like it was a, something that would change you fundamentally if you saw it because it was just so powerful. Or not seven years a slave, as the barber told me, which must have been a <laughs> an edited version of it. Um, a film like that for me, to be fair, was when um, Four Lions, when I went at the end oh, of Four yeah. Lions, I, I honestly didn't know what to feel in the cinema because I saw it in the, I saw it in the cinema when it was released, and I just didn't know what to feel. I thought like, oh, there's a there's a punchline coming here somewhere, there's a gag coming here somewhere. And I just didn't know what to feel. It was so strange. It was like, and I've watched it since. It doesn't quite have the same effect because I know I know what's happening. Kind of the lucky number Slevin effect. Mm. Um, but it was just, um, yeah. When, when when those films hit you, they hit you hard. But I suppose that's why we, that's why we really enjoy it, isn't it? To 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 feel the the wide range of the spectrum of emotions, isn't it? It is. I think it's a way of experiencing things, but in a sanitized way. So there's no way that you can experience horror in a safe way, is that? I mean, if you're out in the streets and you feel in danger, you're in danger. Yep. If you feel it in a cinema, you're still safe, but you're experiencing that, that anxiety, but in a in a safe way, really. Mm-hmm. So I, I think yep. that's, that's part of why we, we go to the cinema. That's part of why we watch films like ridiculous horror films that scare the shit out of you, is so that you can experience it, but know that, at the end of it all, you're gonna be safe. Yeah, or do what I do what I do and just be like, yeah, I'm just gonna grab a. Do you want a drink from the kitchen or whatever? Yeah, is there... <laughs> <laughs> just need to put the light on for a yeah, minute. Yeah, so just, I know oh, it's just okay. uh, make sure the door's locked. Yeah, yeah no worries. <laughs> well, the only time I've ever done that, it, it was on a TV show. I was watching the X Files, and there's the episode with Eugene Toomes who can creep through <laughs> letterboxes, and I actually had to check the letterbox after that episode. <laughs> yeah, it probably yeah. got me that one, did. <laughs> The sister, because she had an air vent in her bedroom, and <laughs> we had to we had to cover it up. Mum had to cover it up because she watched it. I mean, that, that was one. That was in the first series as well, and so that was what ninety four. Yeah. So she would she would have only been about what, four or five. <laughs> and she, <laughs> obviously, at that time, only having one telly in the house, so she was downstairs and we was watching it, and it proper scared the shit out of her. <laughs> and it, even though it's that you that Eugene Victor Tombs to us, shut up. <laughs> or the second episode, Squeeze, which came later on. Um, but yeah, that was for for a small child. That the fly got me like that as well. I when I watched the fly when I was nine. That, that is too young to watch the fly, to be honest. The, obviously, the Jeff Goldblum version. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to sleep in Mum's bed at the bottom of the bed for three months, so I was traumatized. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't go in anywhere like, like when the. Um, she had a separate te- toilet and bathroom rooms. And because it was a small enclosed space, like a teleporter, I wouldn't go in there with the door shut. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's fantastic. Awesome. The pair of film. Yeah, it's the best. Honestly, there's there's nothing quite like it. I, just, I suppose that's why we do this podcast, isn't it? Because it does, it has that impact on you that it makes you just want to talk about anything and everything. So thank you for joining us for another week. Uh, next week, obviously, we're on to the picture part where we'll be dissecting two of the most iconic cage performances. 
They're two of the most iconic films of the 90s. And they're also two films that received Oscar nominations, if you believe it. <laughs> That's right. We are discussing 1996's The Rock and 97's Con Air. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of Cage Fighting's Question Cast. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. Uh, we'll even read out our favourites on future pods if you do. If you like what we do, please tell a friend. Actually, tell two. Why not? Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at CageFightingPod. Email us with any questions you want answering, serious or not serious. Or if you've got any anecdotes, uh, you can find us at CageFightingPod@gmail.com. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Yeah, goodbye. See you on the next one. Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Ciao, Bella. And it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. Oh, I almost forgot. This year, Garth finally got pubes. You didn't tell him about my pubes, did you? No, of course not.